Greetings, everyone. It is now time for Marked Safe, tales of your very favorite and most beloved man-made disasters. On Marked Safe, we discuss events and details that some may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Please listen responsibly. And now, here with your hosts, Brianne and Melanie, this is Marked Safe. Melanie. Yes. So you don't even get nervous when we record, do you? We don't. No, we do. You don't. I'm offended by this. <laughs> I thought it was Why both did I of just say we time. don't? We I don't. don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought it was both of us this whole time. It's been a year and a half. Every time we go to click record, I get stage fright. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm not funny anymore. I'm not cool anymore. I have nothing to talk about. And I just casually asked you if that happens to you, thinking it's highly relatable. Apparently not. No. It doesn't happen to you. I just think of it like talking on the phone, just chit-chatting. Yeah, with thousands of people listening. I know. <laughs> I mean, the government's listening, too. I don't care about them. They're no concern of mine. No. You were nervous as hell when we started this, though. Like, in the beginning. Yeah. I was not, even remotely. Fun fact, our first uh, (laughs) first episode, I got so drunk because I was nervous. I just kept saying, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I listened to it. And I was like, oh, no. Where were you re-recording this? This this sucks. I should have kept that. No. I wonder if it's still on this computer somewhere. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> That's like worse than like a sex tape. You know uh, what I mean? No. No. I will drop that for April Fool's Day. <laughs> Don't fucking do it. There's a couple things I would change. I would I would uh, redo my first. I'd love to redo Hard Rock Hotel. Because I was like. I mean, I'd like to redo like the first 15. <laughs> yeah. I love to redo the episodes where the mics were all fucked up. Oh, God. I can't even listen to the first few. I think maybe one day we should do that. We probably should. This is why Sinisterhood pulled their first 13 episodes. And everyone in the group, every day in the the Sinisterhood group, somebody's like, where can I find the first 13? And you you can't. You don't want to. Don't do it. The audio is bad. It's just weird. We've, We've come a long way. That's for sure. We have, maybe. We have new music. Merry fucking Christmas. Yeah, Merry fucking Christmas. (laughs) Happened a little bit sooner than we thought it was going to, but... Yep, it happened. And uh, it's kind of jarring, isn't it? It is jarring. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I feel... I don't know, should I say that? Because I'm certainly not, like, saying it in a bad way or saying anything negative about the recording. It's just different. It's just so weird to hear something re-recorded. Well, you listen to the same thing for a year and a half. Yeah. It is what it is. It is. Yeah, no more sirens. No more no car more crash. Disasters. No more car crash. I kind of miss the car crash, but I understand yeah. why people don't. Yeah. So thank you, Dusty. Thank you, yes. Brandon. Thank you. You guys. Merry rock. Christmas, everybody. Yes. We're not changing it again. This is it. <laughs> yeah. No. If if you don't like it, I don't know what to tell you at this point. <laughs> yes. My uh, our our bank account hates us right now. <laughs> <laughs> our piggy bank our is piggy. no more it's backwards. <laughs> It's not. It's not that bad. Not. But yeah, no. It's it's it's. This is it for a while. <laughs> yeah, save it for next year. No, we're not changing it next year. <laughs> okay, so Melanie, I feel like 
I should have brought back cute otter facts with this episode. I know. You keep saying it's you terrible. You don't know. Okay. You know what? Let's do brackets and then I'm going to give you some warnings. <laughs> oh, no. A lot of warnings. This is horrible. This is the only episode. I've done a couple. Okay. You know what? No. We're going to revisit all that after brackets. Throw the brackets at me. We already know who's winning this week. Do we have to do it? <laughs> I don't even know who the contender is. I just know who's losing this week. I mean, it could be Buckeyes versus Boogers and still Buckeyes would probably <sighs> lose. Uh, but it's not Boogers. It's Scotcheroos. What? Is that like an oatmeal scotchy? Looks like a weird brownie. Oh, yeah, that could only Buckeyes could make that win. Okay. Buckeye, this is controversial and people are going to come for me. I know they are. This is where... Oh, it's a... It's Hold on. Scotcheroos are a dessert bar with chocolate, butterscotch, peanut butter, and Rice Krispies. So it's like a chocolate mm. Rice Krispie treat. Mm, I mean, I do really like some texture and crunch, so the Rice Krispies help, but I really don't like dessert bars much ever. But Aww. this is where all of... All what? The recipe was originally printed on the Rice Krispies box in the mid-60s. Oh, that is kind of I cute. like little origin like stories that. like that. Yeah. I just got in a fight about Rice Krispies. I know you did. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> With the Australians. Rice bubbles. I'm sorry, but I think that's kind of cute. No. I I usually support all of your beef with Australia. <laughs> I don't know if people know about it. If you're an OG, you might. Um, I usually support all of your Australian beef. I don't know. I kind of think that's cute. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is where all of my Midwesternness comes together because, okay, Buckeyes, if you're not familiar, which who the fuck's not familiar with Buckeyes? It's some kind of peanut butter mixture. I I mean, it's peanut buttery, but I'm sure it's not just peanut butter. I'm not sure really what goes into it. And I believe it's usually got like chocolate coating. It's a ball. It's like maybe ooh, a little smaller than a golf ball, probably. Have you ever had one? I don't think I've had one. Okay. They are technically delicious. <laughs> I don't really. I, I I think it's so fitting that this is a Midwestern food bracket because the reason this is getting swiftly eliminated is such a Midwestern reason. They're technically delicious. I'm not a peanut butter fan, but I understand that they are objectively tasty. But they are so fucking rich, it's not it, – it can't even be described. Like, it is the kind of thing where you take one little tiny bitty nibble and then you wash it down with an entire bottle of cold water and then you need to eat something – savory <laughs> to get rid of it and I, i'm the, like i said they're smaller than a golf ball but when i say a little teeny bite i mean it would take probably 20 little teeny bites to eat one of these things and i don't know who can do that apparently someone because people love them people it, it's personal for people can they're you, a pain in the ass mm -hmm. i want to know like if someone does finish them, like, let us know. How many have you eaten oh, in a sitting? That thought makes me want to throw up. I am curious. I mean, I could see if you really love peanut butter and you really love sweet, rich stuff, maybe one. Maybe. But who the fuck is eating more than one Buckeye? I cannot fathom. And the thing is, people are so proud of their Buckeyes because they're a pain in the ass to make. And there's someone... 
every single Midwestern gathering who made Buckeyes and you walk in the door and they're like, did you see I made Buckeyes? Go get one. And I'm like, why are you singling me out about this? I've never said I like Buckeyes. Like, <laughs> But I think they do it to everyone who comes in. I think it and it's very stressful because then I have to like hold my plate weird and hide the fact that I've eaten one nibble. It's nothing personal. It is delicious, but that's it's a one nibble food. It stresses me out so much. And it's not something that you can just simply not put on your plate because if they're there you're fully expected to put it on your plate it's it's like a whole thing and it stresses me the fuck out what if it was on a stick okay what is that i mean yeah that would be an efficient mode of eating a buckeye but that doesn't change how much you can eat yeah i guess so I should clarify that I do feel the exact same way about fudge, any kind of fudge. Oh, I love and fudge. That's... See, how many bites can you eat? Oh, I will eat a whole fucking pan of fudge. How? How? Oh, I had this friend. Oh, she made the best fudge and she was just the sweetest. And like every once in a while, like I'd wake up and there would just be fudge on my front doorstep. Mm, that's that's not nice. It's the nicest thing ever. So, yeah. I mean, I I do hate them for the same reasons in that maybe like one dime-sized nibble would be enjoyable if that was absolutely the end of it, but that's never the end of it. And people take so much pride in it, they will notice if that's not the end of it. And then it's a whole awkward thing and you have to explain it and it gets weird. Oh my God, we get stressed out just thinking about it. So, Scotchers do not sound that good to me. They probably will not win the next round, but I've been waiting to knock Buckeyes out since the first day I saw they were on there. <laughs> I wonder if there's a Buckeyes Facebook group where everybody like shares their <sighs> tips I bet and that, tricks. I bet that would be the most heated place in the world because people feel strongly about their fucking Buckeyes. I don't know. So I stumbled into, I don't know if someone invited me or what, you know, I wind up in these weird ass Facebook groups, right? Mm -hmm. Somehow last year I wound up in one of those hot cocoa bombs. You know what I'm talking about? Kind of, yeah. Like the ones that are in the like chocolate shell thing. Yeah, it's like just yeah. like it looks like a bath bomb, but it's got ho hot cocoa in it. And you... Yeah, I've never had one, but I've seen them. And I wound up in there and whoo, they get to arguing in there sometimes. See, okay. You don't know about Midwesterners and their Buckeyes. And it is also like a, a turf thing, like a dominance thing, because I swear I've never been at a Midwestern event where someone didn't bring Buckeyes, but I've also never been at a Midwestern event where two people brought Buckeyes. I want to go to happen. that event. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I think about that and I try to picture that, all I can picture is like, introducing two cats to each other who were like adults and have never met another cat and like the hissing in the back arching like it would not be good i would think would their names be would be like tina and stacy oh for sure for sure yeah i'm i'm scared of people who make buckeyes i'm not ashamed to say that i'm terrified of them i don't know who assigns the buckeye person it is it is some some dominant stuff that does go over my head <laughs> I wonder if it's one of those things where it's passed down. I think sometimes. Like Stacy's mom's got it going on. Yeah. I mean, no one is ever just like, yeah, I, I looked up this Buckeye recipe on Google and I made Buckeyes and I brought them to this event. It's never that. People. No. 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 I mean, I'm not afraid to say, like, I found this weird cookie recipe on the Internet and I tried these out. But it doesn't happen with Buckeyes. It doesn't happen. 
It's a point of pride. It's a point of aggression. <laughs> and it scares me. <laughs> it scares me. People don't know how much. I mean, people think of the Midwest as a very polite, um, repressed, maybe, place. Get Buckeyes involved. It's none of that. And it frightens me. This so. is so intriguing. <laughs> I hope somebody will back me up on this because it is true. What other terrible shit you got for us? Okay. So I got to give you a couple warnings about this episode. Okay. So you know how last week you were talking about how, you know, we need to warm up before we get into this, you know, all this terrible stuff and everything. And it's hard to talk about. I support that concept mm -hmm. completely. And I agree. I, I stand by you. And I think that's true. However, I do feel like a little bit of an asshole because it's not really most of the time actually that hard for me. <laughs> it should be. And I'm concerned about what that says about me the more I think about it. But I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes I think about sort of my responsibility in telling these stories and how I tell them and that, you know, that I don't want to say it weighs on me, but I, I take that very seriously and I think about it a lot. But I don't really have a problem where I'm like, okay, this is too heavy. This is too much. You know, this is this is a lot. This is take, this is mm, damaging my brain right. to be so immersed in tragedy. I just, I don't know. It's not really a problem I have. Maybe I'm too morbid. Maybe I'm desensitized. I don't know. I think that I have shed a couple tears researching maybe two or three times in what's it been a little over a year and a half mm -hmm. this is the first one where i've ever had to walk away from the computer and cry oh yeah <sighs> this oh man this episode fucked me up like i i had to take a minute before we started this because it this episode fucked me up it's a lot huh it is a lot yeah and i'm like man if i felt this way every week i don't think i could do this I don't really know what my deal is. I mean, you know, I've done ones that were technically sadder that had a higher victim count or even, you know, a sadder story or whatever. But I was thinking recently that I used to like to do, well, like to is not the right phrase, but I used to do a lot of um, more victim focused stories. And it just, I don't know, I haven't had the last several many that i've done it hasn't been that i haven't wanted to there just hasn't been that much information but i really prefer to be very victim focused when possible right and i've kind of been like you know i need to like keep an eye out for opportunities to tell specific people's stories you know zoom in a little bit more in the next few episodes and well this this one well here we go <laughs> yeah here we go <laughs> here we go <laughs> I, I feel like I need to start this episode with some disaster relief as a result of the time I've spent researching this because I'm a traumatized person now. Mm. So I hope you have a good disaster relief because we are going to need it at okay. the end of this and the middle. And I need it at the beginning. So <laughs> shall we? Okay. Everyone in Oklahoma knows what spring means. Tornadoes. Also. I believe this is the only tornado I've ever done. I think so, too. Which is really weird to me because, like, plane crashes, tornadoes, and the Titanic are my things, disaster-wise. Like, my lifelong special interests. And I cannot believe I've never covered a tornado. But the thing with tornadoes is there's not always much of a story, you know? Yeah. It It's, it's a tornado. It comes down, it fucks the world up, and then it leaves. So, yeah. But this one, there's a lot to unpack in this one. 
Peak tornado season in Oklahoma is around May. I mean, peak tornado season everywhere that has them is usually roughly around May. When 1999 rolled around, there was a 39-year-old standing record for the most tornadoes in a single month ever to happen in Oklahoma, which was 61 in May of 1960. Why do people move to Oklahoma? Why did you move to Louisiana? For home of everything bad. No. I, I mean, mean, don't get me wrong. I like Louisiana, but like weather phenomenon wise. I don't think I'm very familiar with what's in Oklahoma. What's in Oklahoma? Tornadoes. I know. I know that. That's all I know. <laughs> that's all I think. Is there something that I'm missing? Because if that's all there is, why I mean, would it's you pretty. Know? It's really pretty. Isn't it just flat, though? It's pretty. It's flat, but it's pretty. If you say so. I do. I've never been there, but I've heard this from a lot of people, and I read a book about Oklahoma. That's another thing. So by the time 1999 happened, the standing record for a single month was 61 tornadoes in 1960, which, real shitty month. Since then, the annual totals had been pretty much within their typical ranges. 1988 was the best year, not just because I was born, but there were only 17 tornadoes in the entire state the entire year, which is nothing. 1982 was the worst year. What year were you born? 80, baby. Okay, damn. I was hoping I could talk some shit there. 1982 is the worst year with 101 tornadoes throughout the course of the year. And the annual average between the record-setting 1960 season and 1999 was 50 tornadoes each year. Mm. Oklahoma is pretty consistently number three for annual tornadoes after Texas, which is so huge it hardly seems reasonable to compare it to other states because that's just like doesn't make right. sense and kansas between 1989 and 2019 texas averaged 151 tornadoes per year but again it's fucking huge like that's at least two states worth um kansas averaged 91 per year and oklahoma averaged 68 per year for contrast with where we live indiana has 28 per year and louisiana apparently has 44 per year yeah we a lot of them from like the hurricanes and stuff too yeah okay that makes sense because i feel like you never hear about that but I don't know. Maybe you guys are just busy with all the hurricanes and alligators and Mardi Gras titties. So nobody talks about it. Or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's because they come with a hurricane. This, this kind of boring background stuff, it is such a challenge to me as a podcaster because when I'm listening to this kind of thing as a listener, my eyes glaze over. But it's really hard to appreciate the significance of a statistical outlier without having a decent handle on averages. So that's all the time I'm going to spend on that. Okay. <laughs> now you know. Um, a bad year was 61 in the month of May. It was like the worst year. So we've got to talk about the Fujita scale for a minute. Do you know anything about that off the top of your head? What's I your, do not. What's your starter knowledge? Okay. That is where you get tornado categories like F1 or F5. It was created in 1971 and it was used to grade tornado severity after the fact. It is not an exact science like a lot of... People probably think it's more of one than it is. It's not a matter of plugging in some numbers, getting a category at all. Categorizing a tornado involves assessing everything it left behind, including damage, witness accounts, known or estimated wind speeds. Thing about wind speeds is there's a lot of reverse engineering involved. Measured wind speeds at the exact location of the tornado are rarely available. So researchers have tried to identify what speeds seem to correlate with what degree of damage. So they're kind of working backwards. This is obviously complicated, and it's more so because they can only assess damage done to, for example, a well-built home from some kind of baseline standard, like a solid brick, well-constructed two-story house and a 
poorly maintained hundred year old shack experiencing the same damage don't tell the same story mm-hmm. as far as you know tornado strength and wind speeds. So nailing down a rating is very complex. In 2007, we shifted to using the enhanced Fujita scale when it was becoming clear that they had underestimated wind damage. Basically, if they were saying, whoa, it would take 300 mile per hour winds to do this kind of damage, they realized actually it seems like 200 mile per hour winds could do it. So the the correlation between the wind speed and the potential damage, it was wonky. So they updated it, they changed it, and that is how we get the enhanced Fujita scale. So let's discuss the EF scale, as it is called, for a few minutes. There are five, technically seven, possible categories. The first is called an EFU. In which the F-U. U... F-U! <laughs> the U stands for unknown. <laughs> Sorry. This no, we need this. <laughs> this is a little bit of a throwaway category, but I thought it was actually really interesting because it covers some very specific scenarios. Basically, either the t- tornado touches down somewhere like an absolutely empty field where there are absolutely no damage indicators. Like there is not so much as a fence to say what it did. Right. Or the location is inaccessible to assess. So who the fuck knows? Or if there's no way to know if the damage came from that tornado or a different one. So if it is one of those three scenarios, it is an EFU. And this accounts for about 3% of recorded tornadoes. Next, we've got the EF0, which makes up about 53% of tornadoes. And that is associated with 65 to 85 mile per hour wind. This is a super chill tornado you're going to expect to see displacement of small trees and bushes, cars being pushed short distances, um, shingle loss, blown out windows, things like patio furniture getting blown around. It still doesn't sound like a great day to be a homeowner, but it is as mild as a tornado can really be and still be a tornado. Next up is EF1, which is around 33% of tornadoes. We've got 86 to 110 mile per hour winds. With this, you're going to see a little bit more roof and siding damage. You're going to see some blown in doors. Mobile homes are getting all fucked up. Larger trees are seeing a little bit of damage. Cars could get flipped. And my favorite way of measuring this from Wikipedia, corn stalks slightly bent and stripped of leaves. (laughs) (laughs) I just, like, I love the thought of, like, looking at a a corn stalk. Yeah, well, or looking at it being like, oh, I don't know. Is it slightly bent or very bent? (laughs) It's so specific. (laughs) And we're very quickly getting into the uncommon ones now. The EF2 is only about 8% of tornadoes with 111 to 135 mile per hour winds. Yeah. Now we're losing entire roofs and we're seeing a lot more tree damage. We're even seeing some interior damage. EF3 is only about 2% of tornadoes with 136 to 165 mile per hour winds. At this point, houses are losing outside walls. Just about every tree that it comes across is toast. Cars are thrown about half the length of a football field. Um, Upper stories of houses are getting demolished. Even things like buses are ending up all over the place. Only about 0.46% of tornadoes make the E4 category referred to as devastating damage, with winds topping out at 200 miles per hour. Mm. Yeah, the description is so terrifying, I'm not going to paraphrase it. Quote, trees partially debarked, cars mangled and tossed 50 to 100 yards away, frame homes are completely destroyed, brick homes are partially swept away, 
moving trains blown off railroad tracks and barns are leveled. Mm. The rarest possible tornado category is EF5, making up 0.05% of tornadoes with winds over 200 miles per hour. I can't fucking imagine. No. This is another one where I'm just going to quote the description directly. Incredible damage. Cars are mangled and thrown hundreds, possibly thousands of yards away. Frame homes, brick homes, small businesses and barns are swept away. Trees debarked. Corn stalks flattened or ripped out of the ground. Trains flung over 20 yards into the air. Skyscrapers sustained major structural damage. Grass ripped out of the ground. Ground scouring in excess of one inch. Wood and any small solid material become dangerous projectiles. So... Do you remember back in the Alaska episode when we talked about a hypothesized mega tsunami that didn't exist until it did? Right. Okay. Well, there's a controversial hypothetical category called EF6. It is not a part of the official scale, and technically there's no range on wind speeds there. Anything over 200 miles per hour qualifies. And the other important point there is that you can't technically do more damage than destroying everything. (laughs) Right. And when you're talking about an EF5, you're talking about everything from skyscrapers to grass getting obliterated. So you can't really exceed that. (laughs) It's kind of like infinity as a concept. Um, However, the extreme weather world is overflowing with ghouls. So obviously people are going to speculate about things that are even worse and even bigger. And that is where the idea of EF6 tornadoes come in. It's more of a plausible concept based on the original Fujita scale, which listed F5s as being 261 to 318 miles per hour. And I mean, obviously, the existence of an upper limit kind of left it open for there to be a theoretical higher level. Um, Wind speeds that high had never been recorded on Earth, but could happen, I guess. And I mean, people... Climate change. Yeah, climate change. People aren't going to let go of that idea just because the scale was revised with kind of a catch-all upper limit for wind speeds. It's just, it's not how people work, especially weather nerds. <laughs> um, in 1999, all hell broke loose in Oklahoma. Between Oklahoma and the surrounding Central Plain states, there were 71 tornadoes in a single day. 66 of them were in Oklahoma. And remember the previous record was, I believe, 61 in a month right. in Oklahoma. 66 in one day in Oklahoma alone. I think I remember this. Oh, you probably do. Um, 14 of them landed between an F2 and an F5, which is statistically fuck. <laughs> really bad. Oklahomans woke up on... Are they Oklahomans? I'm not I didn't sure. Google it. <laughs> They're homies. There I go again, not doing my research. Can they just be Oklahomies? Oklahomies, yes. I feel like that should stick. It should stick. I'm rebranding Oklahoma because I don't know what goes on there, and let's just make it <laughs> So Oklahomies. Oklahomies woke up on May 3rd, early in their usual worst month, to an ominous forecast. The conditions are right for bad storms, including hail, possible tornadoes, and damaging straight-line winds, which I swear will strike more fear in your heart if you live in a tornado area than the tornadoes themselves will. (laughs) Straight-line winds happen all the time, and they are rough. You know, if you hear that, you're like, well, the tornado is statistically probably not going to hit me, but the straight-line winds might. So 
Tornadoes weren't expected until a bit later in the day. Apparently around this point, there was a little bit of meteorologist drama, which is not what you want. They got some new data that made things look worse than they had initially, but they didn't agree on the implications. I guess I would have figured that this whole thing was more efficient than it was, but I I watched this documentary. It's very, um, very independently produced. <laughs> I watched a documentary about the storm and in it, there was a storm chaser out following it. And he could see this massive storm forming over an interstate with rotation starting. And he was on the phone with somebody who seems to be associated with the weather service. It's a little unclear in the documentary. And they're like, cool. So we're going to make this a tornado warning. It's going to take half an hour. Oh, no. And, no yeah. No, does no. That, that seems like too long, doesn't it? For a warning, yes. Yeah, because like they didn't seem to be questioning that it was happening and that it should be a warning. They're just like, yeah, there's going to be a half hour lag time on that. Now, I mean, I bet this has probably changed a little bit, I hope, in the 22 years since this happened. But man, you really like to think there's less of a lag time. And that like once there's a monstrous rotating cloud over a populated interstate, like the ball's going to be rolling pretty fucking fast. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's It had to change. I hope. So I came across the thing about meteorologists being able, being unable to agree after I had watched that documentary. So it came off as like even more ominous because you just don't really want a bunch of weather people bickering while your house is about to be blown away. Things really escalated, though, between late morning and early afternoon. Around 11, meteorologists determined that conditions could, quote, provide sufficient shear for a few strong or violent tornadic supercells, given the abundant low-level moisture and the high instability. Now, you gotta watch out for that shear. You gotta watch out for it. A note about this is this is one of those ones where there's an unbelievable amount of science that goes into this. And I, I really, really struggled with how much to... Because like with saturation diving, I mean, you just you can't appreciate the concept at all unless you really do follow the science. Right. So with that one, I had really decided I'm just going to dig into it. I'm going to somehow make myself understand it and then I'm going to do my best to convey it. And I was like, maybe I'm going to do the same thing here. I I just don't I don't think you guys would have liked it. <laughs> I don't know. It eh, I don't know. I started to go there. I didn't like where the episode was going. And I was like, I'm just going to tell the story. and I'm not going to try to explain meteorology to people because I'm not a meteorologist. (laughs) Believe it or not. The intensity started picking up in the tones of the weather forecasters on the news. And by one o'clock in the afternoon, computer models were still minimally helpful in narrowing things down. But it was getting close enough to understand what was coming, even with lower tech devices or sometimes just looking. (laughs) The residents braced themselves as the information got worse and worse. Over a million people stood in the potential path of a direct hit. And it had to have been hard to wrap their heads around fully what was going on because the weather looked mild and beautiful, even as the afternoon turned into an early evening, which can happen with tornadoes and it's kind of spooky. It is so spooky when that happens. And then the sky gets that weird color. <laughs> but first, I mean, you there there can it, shit can be really about to hit the fan, and it can still look like a lovely summer day. Yeah, it's like it's weird. It is like remember when we were talking about business suits, gray but kind of yellow. Yes, and we were, that's what that's, tornado sky looks it like. It is. It is. It really is. So people who hadn't kept up with the news at that point 
would never even have suspected anything was coming. But at that point, the conditions were described as a powder keg. At the NOAA offices near Oklahoma City, meteorologists watched in dread as supercells formed on the radar, which have the ability to create terrifying clusters of tornadoes. Now, a little sidebar here. Gary England, have you ever heard his name before? No. He is a local celebrity in Oklahoma. So you know how you guys have your spaghetti model guy? Yeah, in Florida, Mike. Is he out of Florida? I thought he was out of Louisiana. No, he's out of Florida. He's the best. Mike's weather page. Yep. So you turned me on to that when I was following your hurricane stuff and I get notifications every time he goes live. So, but like you guys have that guy and people take him really seriously and he's got, you know, kind of a certain personality. Apparently a lot of storm prone regions have somebody who is very accurate, very trusted, and they tend to have like a little bit of a cult surrounding them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually read a book like four or five years ago before this podcast was a twinkle in my eye about another tornado in Oklahoma, which I'm seriously considering doing a follow-up, possibly even next episode. I don't know because it ties in a lot to this one. Um, But I read this book, I believe it was called At the Mercy of the Sky, but another tornado in Oklahoma. And they discussed this at length, like to the point that the book was almost just about Gary England. (laughs) So when I saw him come up and research for this episode, I was like, hey, it's Gary England. (laughs) I'm not from Oklahoma. I've never been there, but I know that guy. And he, he really is charismatic if you watch him. And I've watched him a lot now. <laughs> but I mean, even Gary England can't determine when a tornado has actually touched down. There's no equipment that can do that other than just good old fashioned eyes and nerve. And that is where the symbiotic relationship between meteorologists and storm chasers comes in. I think storm chasers tend to have a bit of a reputation as thrill seeking bubbas. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably some truth in that a lot of times, but formal weather agencies need them. They get a lot of hate, too. They get a lot of hate. And some of them are reckless idiots, for sure. Mm -hmm. But We had a couple of those here. Yeah. During Ida. Mm -hmm. That put themselves in a bad situation. Yes. And I mean, it can be problematic when there's a bunch of them. They're just out there jacking off looking at a tornado. And then Rescue Services has to go save their asses. So it it can be problematic, but formal weather agencies do need them to an extent. I mean, the world needs people who have the bravery or stupidity to run directly into an oncoming tornado. Right. And I mean, some people are just itching to do it. So, you know, it's complicated. Takes all kinds of kinds to make the world work. And that does include thrill-seeking bubbles. (laughs) (laughs) So 5.30 is when it finally started to boil over. Tornadoes started to touch down around the Oklahoma City area. They started small, just a little narrow little funnel, delicately moving across the ground, and then quickly fading into nothing. Every time it dropped down again somewhere else, it came back more powerful. Now, I don't know how many tornadoes you've seen in person. I don't know how much you have, um, how much of your life you've spent watching tornado videos. I've been through a tornado. Have you? Yeah. When I lived in Kentucky. My mom... Because so we lived in farming country. We had at any given time, you know, corn, tobacco or soybeans growing around us. And we had we lived on an old farm. So there was a lot of the old barns. There was still an outhouse there. And my mom, we heard my mom yelling. She's just telling my dad, there's a tornado right over there across the hill. My dad, he was watching, laying on a couch watching TV. And he was like, there's no tornado. 
My mom's trying to rush us into the basement and they're arguing. She's like, please just come to the basement. And as he's like telling her just to calm down, our car, our carport flips up, <gasps> lands on our car. And then all of the surrounding buildings around us, the outhouse, all the old barns leveled. Oh, shit. How old were you? Did you say? Uh, 15, maybe. Oh, man. It was pretty incredible. I've never seen my dad jump so high. Well, yeah. And my mom said, I told you so. Uh, it was really surprising that our, our house still stood, to be honest. It was, wow. a, it was an old farmhouse. I figured you probably have one way or another spent time looking at tornadoes. And I mean, the nightmarish thing about this kind of tornado is that while you're waiting for it to be done, you know people are dying. Like, it's happening right then. I mean, I'm sure that's the same thing with major hurricanes. It's just like, well, you know, somebody is uh, taking their last breath right now because of this, and there's just nothing to do. There's no way they're not. There's nothing anyone can do but just wait. And, I mean, if you've looked at tornadoes much, to me, maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm being weird. But to me, they're kind of unlike other natural disasters in that they seem so malevolent <laughs> when they suck up back into the sky and then there's that pause waiting to see where, where they'll drop back down mm-hmm. it looks like it's thinking Ooh, i mean doesn't it yeah in in a way that others don't to me and like when it's touched down like the period of time that it's touched down it feels like calculated it's it's weird so at this point, the famously cool-headed Gary England stressed to residents that they needed to take cover because the tornado was stopping and regrouping again and again, and then it was just coming back in unexpected places with terrifying power. And the information was almost too broad for people to fully grasp. You're used to, if you live in a tornado area, you're very used to waiting it out until you feel like you have a really good reason to think that it is on top of you. And... I mean, in some places, in some seasons, you'd never come out of your basement if every time they were like, yeah, a tornado could happen or yeah, there's a tornado touching down somewhere. I mean, you can't just shelter the whole time. You'd be in the basement forever. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are some seasons where it's like constant. So, I mean, you you wait until they're like, yeah, it's, you know, it's on your street and you're like, well, shit, let's go to the basement. So I personally have no judgment for that at all because that is... The way it is with tornadoes, in my experience. I think I have actually sheltered twice in the past seven years. But there have been far more warnings than that. Right. You just kind of go through the motions after a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, they're like, well, there's one in your county or something. And I'm like, yeah, but I mean, it's not right here. Like, do I really need to do that? Uh, But I mean, this one, you know, people were a little too complacent because it was really just coming down in places that nobody could anticipate. And every time it dropped back down, it was bigger. So people don't take action like they should have. I mean, I I do think it's safe to say that in probably any tornado, there's a good chunk of people who don't take action like they should have, but maybe a little extra this time. The skies didn't even feel that threatening everywhere, even when shit was starting to hit the fan. A lot of people had no idea. Because, I mean, they just didn't happen to be watching the news. And a lot more did, but didn't take it seriously. Gary England kept broadcasting as the storm grew. And he said, get pillows, coats, um, clothes, anything you can find and cover up. Stay away from the windows. This tornado is deadly. 
He reiterated, if you haven't gone to the cellar, you really need to go now. This is a huge circulation. There are vortices everywhere. This is extremely dangerous, so you folks in the path of this tornado get below ground. If you can't do that, get in the center part of your house, a closet or bathroom, get on the east or north wall, lots of pillows and blankets, get in the bathtub, put the kids in the bathtub, get on top of the kids. Now, the the ER did understand what was coming, and they did take it seriously, and they immediately went to work preparing for what would clearly become a mass casualty event. Storm tracker Val Caster had the ear of Gary England between the two of them, they realized pretty quickly that they were dealing with an F5 tornado. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And I mean, Oklahoma is real desensitized to tornadoes. I really feel like everywhere that gets a lot of tornadoes is, but I mean, Oklahoma is Oklahoma. And not, you know, not only do they have a shit ton of warnings and a shit ton of actual tornadoes, but I mean, they're just kind of tough people, you know? They're, they're very practical, level-headed, not hysterical people. Gary struggled with how to quickly convey to as many people as possible the extreme gravity of the situation. And he finally told anyone listening that anyone not underground would not survive. Oh, wow. Just like that. Yeah, yeah just like that. <laughs> Residents who lacked underground shelter desperately piled pillows and blankets on top of themselves in their bathtubs and braced for impact. Families prayed together. Couples told each other, I love you. The freight train sound got louder and louder as it moved to residential areas. When it hit, one man said it sounded like throwing a fork down a garbage disposal and multiplying that times a thousand. The mile-wide tornado hit a sickening speed, 318 miles per hour. Wow. The upper limit for the worst possible category of tornado. Yeah. Because the Fujita scale will not be updated for another eight years. This wasn't the enhanced scale they were working with then. The tornado finally reached the densely populated Moore neighborhood a little bit before 7 p.m. One resident named John and his wife, Dixie, had waited too long to shelter appropriately, and they were making do in a closet in their home. He said, right as it hit, we felt a strong sensation of wind and air at our feet. At that point, I knew we were probably going to be in trouble, just in the fact that we're in an interior room. There's no ventilation in the closet coming from the floorboards. At that point, we realized the house was coming apart and disintegrating around us. The house ripped into pieces around them, and John lost his grip on his wife. All 50 houses in his new subdivision were taken completely, just gone, did not exist anymore. John was thrown 50 feet and left to limp through the rubble searching for his wife, who had been pulled out of their closet and out of his grasp. He finally yeah, he finally found her 70 feet away, unresponsive, under a pile of rubble. She was severely injured, and even after being taken to the hospital and regaining consciousness, she did not recognize her husband. It would take four years for her to recover. Absolutely everything in the tornado's path was obliterated. Just absolutely obliterated. And vehicles, body, and debris were scattered across the interstate. When the siren started, which it's a little hard to get a read on exactly when they did, it seems to have started crazy late to me, but I I can't swear to that. It's very hard to find out what time the siren started, but it seems like a lot of people genuinely didn't know this was coming until it was like fully there. And I don't quite get that, but I don't want to talk too much shit because I'm not 100% sure on when they did start. So when they did, oh man, okay, it's getting rough from here on out. (laughs) Guys, go pour a drink. Oh, this was just coffee. (laughs) 
No, like everybody <laughs> listening. I mean, I'm like rubbing my face right now because I know how rough this is about to get. Oh, and everyone is just worse than the one before it. I probably should have had wine and not coffee <sighs> then. It's not too late. It's too late. It's not. It's trust me. It's not. <laughs> God bless it. So when the sirens did start, the people who were on the roads who either hadn't realized what was happening or had just really felt that they needed to get somewhere and were still trying to outrun it, pulled over and a lot of them sheltered under an overpass. One pair who sheltered under an overpass included Kathleen Walton and her 11-year-old son, Levi. Now, apparently a lot of people think that sheltering under an overpass is a good idea. Apparently it is the worst idea. And it can create a wind tunnel effect and it ends up being kind of a catch-all spot for cars to end up. So it is super not ideal, actually. But Kathleen and Levi ended up there anyway. They were still driving and she realized they had to get out of the vehicle and they took shelter under this overpass. Kathleen covered her son with her body and hunkered over him protectively until she felt the tornado pulling her up and knew that if she held on to him, he'd be brought with her. And I mean, they would probably be. Oh, no, 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 no. So she told him she loved him and said, whatever you do, hold on. Told him to close his eyes, let go, and was pulled into the sky. Yeah. She died. Um, Levi did live. It was the close his eyes thing that, Uh that did it for me. Oh, God bless it. Okay. We're just going to, we're going to move ahead here. I can't get stuck on any of these or I I don't know. One woman and her elderly mother sheltered in a bathtub. And when the storm passed over them and they got out of the bathtub, the bathtub was the only part of their house left behind where it had started. It was just like a bathtub in a field now, but it was like the field that used to be their house. Wow. So that's weird. I believe they both survived. I know she did. And I, I'm pretty sure her mother did too. Um, So that was just weird. One woman was sucked out of her car, thrown into a field and killed. Catherine, a 44-year-old mother to a 10-month-old baby, died in her closet. A local deputy spotted what he thought was the curly hair of a baby doll. But it was 10-month-old Aaliyah, Catherine's daughter. She was buried in debris and mud, like completely and totally caked with it. And she seemed like she was probably dead, but she was warm. Her face was completely just like covered and caked in mud. The deputy gently carried her to the hood of his patrol car, wiping her face off as he went. He laid her down and discovered that she was still alive when she cried and reached out for him. His dash cam captured him picking her up and comforting her as he checked her for injuries. And that is still out there today if you need something to make you cry in a happier way at the end of this. He put her in his lap in this car with her head on his chest and drove around looking for help. He joked that if they hadn't run into EMS, they would have just gone right home and he would have raised her. (laughs) (laughs) She did have family. Yeah, her mom was dead, but she did have family. (laughs) But he was apparently ready to... (laughs) Go ahead and adopt her, which is adorable, actually. And the video is incredibly sweet. You should look it up. A, oh God, it's getting rough again. Okay. A gymnasium in a middle school was turned into a triage center with one paramedic named Steve working. It's hard to give in episode content warnings on this one 
because there's so much bad stuff, but this one will be timestamped in the comments or in the show notes. So if you have any concerns about your inability to hear anything at all, check the show notes, make sure you're not somewhere you don't want to be because this one is dark. No one seemed to know that Steve the paramedic was working there alone with dozens of injured people and more people just continued to stumble in as he worked to stabilize them without any ever leaving. (laughs) Steve remembers a couple named Samantha and Dion walking into the gym and he remembers learning that as their house was pulled away around them and the windows imploded as the air was sucked out of the house, their three-week-old baby Ashton was also pulled out of Samantha's arms. Samantha said, I held my son in my arms and I kissed him on his face. And that's the last memory I have of my son. I don't know what happened to him after that. And I didn't know if my son was dead or alive. Ashton's body was found three days later. He would be 22 years old now if he had lived. Dion's mother, who he was extremely close with, also died. Samantha and Dion would become pregnant immediately, which like, if my math is correct, would have had to have been like either that cycle or the next one. And they named that baby Gabriel. And by Gabriel's first birthday, they would be due any day with another one. Wow. I mean, that's, you know, nice, but holy shit. A father named Tom Tinneman. I'm not sure how it is pronounced. And his six and nine-year-old daughters, Tawny and Kylie, were also at the gymnasium. CBS News says, both girls were in critical condition. I checked them out and things looked really, really bleak, Finley says. Of the two, Tawny was in worse condition. She was near death. When help did arrive, Tawny and Kylie were among the first to leave for the hospital. Tom Tinneman, who had fractured his pelvis, severed his tailbone and broken his collarbone, (sighs) was the last to leave the gym. His wife, Cindy, was driving home when the tornado forced her to take shelter in another town. She drove the 45 minutes to the hospital to see her daughters and her husband. Her daughters didn't look good when she first saw them. There was no life in that baby, she says of Tawny. She was having to have a breathing machine to breathe on. She didn't do anything. She just laid there. Both girls were in comas purposely induced by doctors to help them heal. Kylie woke up after two days, but Tawny didn't wake up until the drugs wore off. For the next four weeks, Tawny showed little sign of life. She's fighting just to stay alive, and even if we keep her alive, we don't know if she'll wake up. And if she wakes up, we don't know what we're going to get back, Tom Tenneman said at the time. Doctors said that Tawny had a 50% chance of coming out of her coma, Cindy Tenneman recalls. While laying next to Tawny in the hospital, Kylie often spoke to her unconscious sister. I'd say, I love you and I want you to wake up, says Kylie, who thinks that Tawny hurt her. Finley, the paramedic who'd saved their lives, often visited the girls at the hospital. Every once in a while, Tawny would grip her mother's hand. Then almost a month after the tornado, Tawny woke up and told a nurse that she hadn't slept very well. Oh, shit. Yeah. Tawny thought the entire thing had been a dream. And she recovered at warp speed when she woke up. And Steve, the paramedic, went to medical school. (laughs) Good for fucking Steve. I mean, after all that, you fucking might as well. Okay, so this is another one that is pretty fucking dark start to finish. I will also timestamp this one in show notes. Kara was a 26-year-old mother who adored her six-year-old son, Jordan. She regularly went to work early before the sun came up so she could have more time with her son after work. The day of the tornado, they played catch with a football when Jordan got home from kindergarten. And then Kara started a box of mac and cheese for dinner and served Jordan a bowl. That's when the news about the tornado headed their way interrupted their after-school routine. When the tornado hit, she wrapped Jordan in a coat and blanket and called her mother to tell her that they were trying to get out of the house and away from the storm because they lived in a trailer. 
and sheltering in a ditch outside where people already were seemed safer. And I mean, knowing what I know after researching this episode about trailers and tornadoes, it may very well have been safer. They didn't make it to the ditch, though, and the massive balls of hail that started made Kara doubt that decision anyway. They got as far as their bathtub, hustling into the tub and sitting facing each other before their house exploded around them and pulled them out into the tornado hand in hand. When everything started flying, the wind pulled the blanket off of Jordan's head. He said, I saw the strangest thing. Have you ever seen a cow flying? I did. I saw a cow flying. It's not a good thing to see. No. Yeah. Then he was hit by debris and knocked out. A brutal article in South Florida Sun Sentinel writes, When the wind stopped, Jordan Weiss's mom was gone. I should have held on tighter, the six-year-old later told his grandma. A kindergartner's grip is nothing against the fury of an Oklahoma tornado. Still, Jordan Wise wouldn't give up on the woman who had planted roses in the backyard and served as bench mom at his t-ball games. When a neighbor pulled him out from a creek bank across the road from his trailer home with three broken ribs, a swollen leg, and a bruised back, Jordan limped in the direction of his yard. He found a dead horse where his home had been. Shit. Yeah, the horse's rib cage had also been pulled out. So... When Jordan was discharged from the hospital, he joined a National Guard search party in his destroyed neighborhood to look for his beloved mom. Oh, Jesus. They let him wear the captain's hat, and they lined up to salute him at the end of the day. No. It was another two days before Kara's body was found and identified by fingerprints. Jordan got cancer two years later and lost his leg to that, but he (sighs) appears to have survived the cancer, so I guess that's something. This one is... Horrifying. Doesn't involve any dead kids, but it's horrifying. Dorothy and Gus met in their late teens. The Oklahoman writes, Gus met his wife in 1942 when she was working as a clerk at her father's Dell City Trucking Company. Gus would drive up every day and flirt with Dorothy. Her father had told her she wasn't allowed to date the truck drivers, so the young sweethearts waited to get married until her father went out of town. (laughs) They were married for 56 years. And as age started to limit both of them, they helped each other through life in a way that was just really beautiful. Gus was losing his eyesight. Dorothy was becoming too anxious to drive. Gus was a retired trucker with an unbelievable sense of direction, but he couldn't see enough to drive anymore. The Oklahoman said she would do the driving and he would reassure her and give her the directions. When the tornadoes hit, Gus held a pillow over a blown-in window to protect his wife and was crushed to death by rubble. Dorothy survived, but without her other half. Goodness gracious, what are you doing, Brianne? Just wait. (laughs) 60-year-old Guadalupe died trying to rescue her five Pomeranians, who were also all killed. A four-month-old baby named Jeffrey died, which for some reason was the thing that finally made me cry. (laughs) Um, Despite having, I couldn't find any specific information about him. A beautiful little four-year-old girl named Kara died, which is the thing that made me finally have to walk away from the computer for a while and cry. Then we've got David Henry. David Henry had a reputation as a solid, trustworthy family man. He married his wife, Sandy, 15 years before the tornado. He was extremely well-respected at his job with the gas and electric company. His boss said David was a top-drawer person, not only personally, but professionally. He was almost exactly a year away from graduating with a degree that would help him climb even further in his career. He was funny and reliable, the Oklahoman says, which, by the way, I got a shit ton of this from various articles in the Oklahoman. Very helpful. The Oklahoman says if David made a statement, there was no doubting its validity, and he earned that type of reputation. David, Sandy, and their dachshund Sammy, 
I do feel like the names there had to be confusing, Sandy and Sammy. Sheltered in a bathroom, a pickup truck was blown into their house as, quote, waves of debris slammed into them. David used his body as a shield to protect Sandy. He told Sandy that he loved her. The dachshund whimpered. And then David and their dog were both taken and killed by the storm. (sighs) Sandy said that she only had a few bruises because of David's protection and said it was so unbelievable, but he was that kind of man. He had the highest integrity. And she also said, David and I were married for 15 very beautiful years. We would have celebrated our anniversary August 18th. He was such a loving, kind and caring man. He was my soulmate. So I think that is the end of individual victim stories. (laughs) Sorry about that. When the call started coming into emergency dispatch, it was a shit show because people a lot of times still had their cell phones on them, but they had no idea where they were because they'd just been thrown through the air by the tornado and there were no landmarks left. Right. So they were just calling and they were like, yeah, I've uh, got a big problem, got a big injury. I don't know. I could be anywhere. (laughs) So people really just ended up just kind of driving around looking for people. They didn't have anywhere near enough ambulances so other towns around sent their ambulances a bunch of cars had been thrown into a bunch of motels what yeah two airplane hangars were destroyed along with multiple planes um some vehicles had been thrown a mile and a half which is hard for me to even wrap my head around yeah at the end of it all 45 people were killed nearly 600 were injured which i think is honestly the most underrated statistic we ever talk about right a lot of the injuries are catastrophic they're just absolutely life-altering things uh oklahoma.gov says that most were soft tissue injuries then fractures and dislocations and then brain injuries um 42 percent of the people who were hospitalized had brain injuries that's a lot just from probably just debris smacking them in the head yeah getting conked multiple people were impaled on two by fours Oh, yeah. (laughs) According to Wikipedia, a total of 8,132 homes, 1,041 apartments, 260 businesses, 11 public buildings, and seven churches were damaged or destroyed. Estimated damage cost totaled $1.2 billion, making it the first recorded tornado to exceed $1 billion in total estimated damages. Wow. Yeah. It was only the 50th tornado to ever be ranked F5. And that doesn't mean just since the scale came out in like 70 or 71, whenever it was, um, because they went back and retroactively categorized tornadoes back to like, I want to say the 1910s oh, really? earlier. Yeah. So it was only the 50th one ever to be ranked F5 and the last for another eight years until the enhanced um, Fujita scale was implemented. It was the last one implemented under the old Fujita scale. The F5 that did so much of this damage stayed on the ground for an unbelievable hour and a half. An hour and a half? Yes. Just stayed down fucking shit up. There's just nothing to stop it or slow it down. No, no. I mean, and the videos are just a fucking nightmare. The governor gave an interview shortly after the disaster and said, we have whole communities that simply aren't there anymore. And I got into all that with the Fujita scale earlier on because the F6 thing is complicated. Like I said, it officially doesn't exist, especially under the enhanced Fujita scale. 
It doesn't really need to exist, but it was a much grayer area under the original Fujita scale, which is what was in effect when this happened. So there are a lot of internet discussions about this. And it's like, you know, has an F6 ever happened? What, you know, what's been speculatively called speculate? That's not the word. What's been, you know, called a possible F6? What's been considered being rated as an F6? If an F6 existed, would it, you know, which one would it be? Everything you come across says it that the 1999 Bridge Creek Moor tornado, if there's an F6, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Uh, despite the seeming delays on issuing the warning and possibly sounding alarms, and honestly, I may just be being a dick about that. I don't know. No, you'd I, be it, surprised. I mean, maybe. It, I, it was never really an emphasis in anything. It's just everything I kept reading or seeing or watching was like, yeah, we'll do this in half an hour. And I'm like, half an hour? That seems too long. It's too long. But, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't have any idea what goes into that. I don't know if I'm being a dick. I don't know if that's changed. I don't know. It seems long to me, but who the fuck am I? But despite that, the advance, advances in prediction and warning technology saved countless lives for sure. For whatever reason... Adelaide was super interested in this episode. She was sitting on my lap for like half the research reading everything I wrote, which I did not know because I mean, I know her reading is really good, but it it's exploded so fast. I haven't really caught up to quite how good. It's it's bananas. It's just like one day they just start reading yeah. and then they're looking yeah. over your shoulder when you're texting. Uh-huh. And- I mean, she, I, I, I would say she was kind of a late reader, honestly. She wasn't, you know, like a really early reader necessarily. But she just kind of didn't really get it. And then she had like three months of, you know, yeah, you can read with like a lot of handholding and a lot of frustration and that kind of thing. And now I just, I don't know if there's anything she can't read. I mean, it just, <laughs> it, like, really, I, I have yet to find something she can't read. She read way too much of the script because I didn't really realize she was at that level. Right. Until she just started asking questions about like, what if you don't have the news on when a tornado hits? And I was like, well, you'll hear the sirens. And my husband said something to the effect that sirens have probably been around longer than the news, which did not sound right at all. And sure enough, tornado sirens weren't even a thing until 1970. Really? Really. Um, I believe, oh, I could be wrong about this. And I don't know why I'm saying it when I don't know for sure. But I'm pretty certain that I saw that they were basically in place for like wartime air raids. And then they were like, fuck it, we could use this for a tornado too. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So a month after the tornadoes, the Greenville News reported that in the 40s or 50s, an estimated 700 more people would have died. Oh, I'm sure. Without a doubt. Uh Uh-huh. A storm expert they interviewed said weather bureaus weren't allowed to use the word tornado in a forecast because of the fear of panic. Oh, can we just panic? Let's panic. Right? Just go ahead and panic. It's fine. You should be panicking. You should be panicking. All the time about everything. Let's panic. What's the worst that could happen? Everything. I mean, a human stampede. God, Melanie, I'm panicking all the time. You don't even know. (laughs) Go ahead and panic about tornadoes. Go ahead and panic about whatever you want. Just do it. So, yeah, the concept of actually forecasting tornadoes literally wasn't even a thing until the 50s when the military started issuing tornado watches and civilians found out about it and were like, let's get in on that. And they kind of started, you know digging into that. So as devastating as the 1999 Bridge Creek Moore tornado was, it could have been so much worse. Wow. Yeah. And there you have the episode that definitely broke some records for crying for me. That was 
awful. That was excellent in the worst way possible. I like I'm a little fucked up from that episode still. Yeah, the uh, kissing your baby and then uh, yeah, I I was almost more. I want to like just stop right now and go snuggle squonk. I know. I was almost more messed up by the couple stories about parents dying in ways that were really traumatic for their kids. Yeah. The one about close your eyes before she let go Mm -hmm. destroyed me. Um, The one about kid who searched with the National Guard and all that killed me. I mean, (sighs) yeah. So like, I, I really, I mean, I know we have like the whole disaster relief thing, but like, I'm just straight up it's it's as much because either one of us really needs it is because it's just kind of awkward to transition to the end of an episode after something so dark like you just like you know what do you do as far it's like okay bye yeah all right well (laughs) that was awful see you next week i mean you just kind of need something to close it out yeah but like this time and this is the first time this has ever happened like i need to go do a little self-care after this. Yeah. Because this was rough. This was rough. Yeah. And usually my self-care is horrible. I was like, maybe I'll go watch 911 for a while. I don't think I can. <laughs> I I don't I don't know. Yeah. I, I wish I hadn't finished Shit's Creek because that would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I want to revisit that one again. Do a re-binge. Yeah. Maybe I'll do it tonight. <laughs> what so is... I think we need some disaster. Yes. What is your disaster relief? Um, so I am going to revisit the TikTok personality concept that I love so much. Um, when all else fails and I'm not sure what to do, I can always just go see who I'm enjoying on TikTok. And I am very much not the only one enjoying this person on TikTok. I bet you might be too. She has gone super viral, um, but her content has held up even after that. And that is Elise Myers. Oh, I love Elise Myers. I knew you would. I knew you would. She's right up your alley. I love her so much. Yes, me too. It it stays just as good as ever. She's just telling stories about her life. There has been times where my my volume has been off and I will I can just sit there and watch her explain. Yeah. Like her mannerisms are Yes. The best. Sorry, she's, didn't mean to interrupt excellent. you. I'm just no, that's that's your job. She's excellent. She's hilarious. She, yeah, go look up Elise Myers. It is E L Y S E M Y E R S, and I have and that's my maiden name, so I hate spelling it that way because that is not the correct spelling. <laughs> I have no idea what her TikTok handle is. I'm not that prepared, but I'm sure if you search Elise Myers, you will find her. She's gotten pretty famous pretty fast. So. What is yours? Mine is the horrible ghouls. Oh, I last week <laughs> had a lot of beef. <laughs> I think we were both expecting it to go real south, yeah. real fast. Listen, I love you, but I was braced. <laughs> I was braced too. I I was like this. Okay, as soon we're, as we're we gonna s- get some blowback for this. As soon as we stopped, I was like, "What did I do? <laughs> I should have just shut my mouth." I told my husband, "I was like, I'm not gonna lie. I had a hot minute where I was like, maybe I should accidentally lose that episode." 
<laughs> not because I don't agree, but I was like, this may not go well. <laughs> I don't know. And then I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm going to go down with Melody Ship. I love you. <laughs> so, yeah, I was complaining about reviews. And what'd you say? Like, we accidentally created some vigilantes. Yes, we did. Um, yes, we did. We had a huge flood of very nice, very sweet messages. So reviews, I feel like we shouldn't say this now. Or all the people who are hate listening to us are going to be like, oh, don't get too high and mighty, you fucking bitches. I'm going to go give you a flood of bad reviews. Well, I mean, nothing can knock me down now. I feel okay. like <laughs> it doesn't matter. I've, I've, I, I don't know. I was in laying in bed last night. One of our listeners, um, she actually bought your blanket early on when we started, you know, your, it was a disaster relief. You know your favorite blanket? No, I don't know my favorite blanket. Your yellow one? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. long, yeah. long, long time ago you suggested it. She actually bought it. Well, she, I'm underneath one of those right now. It's my tent for the, for the audio. But she just, she messaged me just the sweetest stuff. And I don't, I'm not putting any more energy into shitty people. I'm not doing it. We have, Are you sure now that I got us all these good reviews and vigilantes? You know, if you guys want to keep <laughs> keep leaving us good reviews, that's fine. But I just, there's so much good out there. We really do yeah. have the best really do. fucking listeners. I couldn't believe it. it. I, yeah, it it blows my mind. I've got I've got a handful of like favorite reviews or comments over the years, and I really should put them like in a a notepad or something for when I don't feel so good yeah <laughs> about myself and my life there was one who i want to say she had like maybe a phd in english or something and she really liked my titanic episode mm -hmm. and uh that was an all-time favorite and i really like the ones that feel that we are respectful to victims because i try really hard yeah that's that. huge for us yeah i mean i don't i don't mean i try really hard like i naturally just want to be a disrespectful little shit or something <laughs> but that's important to me it's extremely important mm -hmm. to me and you know it's it's a tough balance with this type of podcast so i i'm very glad that people get it yes so glad so glad. the best fucking you probably listeners. do know you're the only person that does know so yeah i i co-sign on this wholeheartedly yeah uh, no more beef from me though no i mean wait till after i have this baby and uh maybe i'll have some Okay. We may be finding out the sex tomorrow. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, it is kind of early. We're going to go to one of these uh, sneak peek type places. And uh, I do have an anterior placenta. So that can be a little bit of an obstruction. I had one with Adelaide too. And it was sometimes a nightmare to see anything we needed to see with yeah. her. So, I don't know. It might be too early, but we're going to take a little peek in there and see what there is to see. Yeah, Abby was interior, too, and I didn't feel her my whole pregnancy. Really? It was so fucking weird. It was just like... See, I hear that all that. I felt Adelaide, like, absolutely no problem. I felt her clear as anything from 15 weeks on. Yeah, Abby just was hanging out, doing her thing, barely yeah. noticed it. I mean, gosh, I hope that doesn't happen this time. Feeling feeling the movement's my favorite part of being pregnant. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to be hitting that up last soon. baby. Yeah. We have several pregnant listeners right now, too. We do. Okay. And I'm I want I'm obsessed updates. With it. I feel like we should have. Yeah. Fun. 
baby thread. Yeah, like, oh, we should. We really should. I mean, like, these people, they don't know this, but they're my new BFFs. <laughs> I'm I'm I've been bonding with people in horrible ghouls today. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. We have Patreons. Yes. Okay. And a correction. <laughs> and a correction. So Donica, like Monica. Donica. I am so sorry. I think I said Danica. Yeah. So here's your redo. It's Donica. Sorry. I'm sorry. You know, this is what happens. If you guys want me to say your name right. You got to give us phonetic spelling, please. Just a quick little message. Know. It's me we're talking about here. I mean, I probably could hand I mean, this over. Names to have multiple pronunciations. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I would not have gotten Donica without a, a phonetic pronunciation. So, I mean, please don't hand it to me. We also I'm just gonna <laughs> toss it back. <laughs> How did I get stuck with this? By the way, I don't know. I think you kind of volunteered. <laughs> We did have two Patreons up their subscription. Uh, Finn High, he updated his. Um, and Lauren Ostrowski. You guys can be new buddies. How about that? Heck yeah. Yep. I still think Ostrowski is like a sexy last name. Yeah, I, I, I probably shouldn't say and it, but she's kind of one of my favorites. <laughs> Finn High is such a fucking cool name, too. That is a very cool name. All right. And so we have some newbies. Let me figure out who's going to be buddies today. Let's do Heather Onspach. A-U-N-S-P-A-C-H. Is that C-H at the end? Is that like a K? Onspach? Please give us phonetic spellings if you care. Yes. (laughs) If you don't care, that's fine. We're going to guess and we're going to fuck it up. We're going to do Heather. I'm saying we. I I don't want to make it sound like it's you, but it would be me. Like it would infinitely on Spock Spock. Heather on Spock that's why I don't want it because I know it would be me (laughs) just let me know Heather so we're gonna do here's your buddy Heather and Hannah Roberts Heather and Hannah Heather and Hannah that's cute Hannah Roberts very cute next we're gonna do Emily Smith and Jessalyn Drotty nice those are pretty names Jessalyn that's pretty Mm-hmm. And then finally, Ducky. Ducky. I love that. I love that a lot. I, I love that as well. Ducky and Chris Skinner. You two Ducky are. Ducky and Chris Skinner. Mm-hmm. So go donate blood. Go donate canned goods. Go donate a kidney. <laughs> you don't have to do all three at the same time. <laughs> Space them out. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, though, if you want to go for the the triple gold and just knock it all out in one day i mean if the red cross and the kidney people will let you do it fuck it <laughs> i love the buddy system i do too. have you guys has anyone found their buddies message i don't know i don't know we've been getting a lot of requests in the group though i think i'm gonna redo a list i'll get a master list together i don't know how should we do this let me know i'm gonna keep <laughs> just doing the buddies monthly as they come in but if you want me to redo it and do just a big old master list and yeah, post it on Patreon, we can do that, too. That sounds fun. Yeah. I still really want to do um, some kind of master list of uh, disaster relief recommendations. Yes. I need to get that on the website. 
Let's figure yeah. out how to do that. I want to do that. I think we're almost time for merch, too. It seems that way. It seems, it's coming up a lot. Hmm. I don't know. A lot to I ponder. Know you're, yeah, there, there's a lot to ponder. We're just going to hang out through Christmas. And then... Yeah, we're not going to do anything hmm. um, crazy. Yeah. We're going to release some Patreon stuff. We got a lot of stuff in, in, in the works. So... Yeah. Um, after this is released, um, you should have... MS Estonia within the next couple days after mm-hmm. today's we just episode. Need a moment to get edited. Yep. And then we are definitely going to be doing our bucket list bonus content, which I am like weirdly jazzed about. I'm so excited. Okay, so I've asked for everybody's bucket list stuff. I've I've already have that pulled up on a piece of paper. Okay. And I'm like so excited about my bucket list stuff. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Let's revisit this real quick. Someone sent me one of their bucket list things and I might have invited myself on their vacation. I've invited you on at least two of my things. Yeah. So Did here's the question. Cheese, though? I mean, it could. Hers included cheese. Okay. So am I being replaced? Maybe. It's cheese. Fuck off. No. <laughs> you can buy cheese anywhere, Melanie. Okay. So I do need a little clarification before we do eventually record that. Illegal bucket list items, yes or no? Yes. Okay. I went down with your ship. You're going down with mine. (laughs) Yes. Illegal bucket list. Okay. I have at least one illegal thing on my bucket list. How illegal, though? What's the the spectrum? I mean, like, smoking a dubes or murder? Closer to smoking a dubes. Okay, yeah. But not smoking a dubes. Like, holy shit, it's 2021. It's it's not that, but it is um, in the same zip code as that. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna leave my murder stuff off. I I probably have at least three in that vein, mm-hmm. but I'm probably not gonna leave that kind of evidence. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really weird to sit down and s- start like going through because I have a couple lists and I'm trying to put them all together. There's some strange stuff. I'm really excited about that episode. There's some strange stuff on mine. Um, there's also some boring stuff. Some sometimes I did. It was a journey of self discovery. We'll discuss that when we record. <laughs> yeah, so that's coming to you soon, and uh, yeah, we're just gonna lump on the hell out of you this December. Yeah, Melanie's your abuser. Yep, it's me. Yep, uh, mine too. Well, un- oh, yeah. until then, <laughs> sweet dreams or no dreams. That sounds threatening now. Sweet, sweet dreams, dreams or no dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Horrible Ghouls. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your personal MarkSafe moment, you can send it to us at MarkSafePodcast at gmail.com. Please give our podcast a rate, review, and subscribe, and tell your buddies about us too. That goes a long way. If you want to further elevate your support, check out our MarkSafe Patreon page, where we have shoutouts, goodies, and some bonus content in the works. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again, and as always, stay safe.